The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC is available online at www.overlandpark.cc. Welcome to Overland Park Community Church. Good to see you here this morning. I did send you an email, most of you, if I have your email address, I sent you an email this morning at 1030 asking you to register for our fall celebration if you haven't done that yet. It's this Saturday at 3 o'clock from 3 to 8, I'm basically a big church-wide kind of hangout picnic where we're going to have a lot of fun, and we're going to eat at about 5 o'clock. But anyway, uh, you can check your email. I, I don't mind if you check it right now, as long as you pay attention to what I'm saying. Um, so you can check it later as well. But, but thank you for being here. It's a big day, man. Um, today, Serve Community Church is having their first service. Like, Who served Community Church? It's the church plant in Prairie Village that we're a part of. Uh, I'm on the management um, team there and helping uh, Morgan get the church out of the ground, and we've been supporting it financially, and so a new church is coming out of the ground in Prairie Village, and we thank the Lord for that. We're going to have prayer for them here in a moment as they start at, at 1030, and so it's 1020, and they'll be starting at 1030, and all you care about is that you're home in front of the TV by noon, right, to watch the Chiefs, um, but we want to pray about uh, pray for them, and then there's another church um, that's planning, I don't really know anything about, but that's planning over here at Lakewood and their first Sunday, I think it's called Freedom Church. I just want to pray over them as well and ask the Lord to bless their endeavors as they seek to advance the kingdom of Jesus. It's not our kingdom. We're not, just, we're not in competition with other churches. Uh, as long as they teach the word of God, like, man, we want to say, go get them. We're all in this thing together. Uh, and we want to encourage those who, who are part of, of the, the kingdom who are seeking to advance it for the Lord Jesus Christ. Before we get into the word today, let's pray over Serve Community Church and ask the Lord to bless Morgan. It's a big deal, man. Your first Sunday is just so nerve-wracking. So let's ask the Lord to, to bless him today. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the church. We thank you for what you're doing in the church all over the world and what you've been doing since you came to the planet and you walked in the physical form, Lord, and Jesus, you were here walking and talking prior to giving your life um, to save and, uh, sinners like ourselves, and that you said, Lord, when you were walking on the planet that you were going to build a church, something so incredible that hell would not be able to stop it. And so we thank you for our own church, our own local body of believers. We thank you, Lord, for the new church here in our neighborhood that is coming out of the ground. And Lord, we thank you for Morgan and Serve Community Church. And we pray for your hand of blessing and power to be upon them today. We pray, Lord, that you would help them um, to not get stressed over things that were overlooked, for them to be able to be encouraged by all of the people who come, and that you would be with Morgan as she shares the word, and that you would just give him the freedom to share it in, in spirit and truth. And we just thank you that we got to be a part of seeing a new church come out of the ground and we pray for your continued blessing upon it and that they would reach many souls in that neighborhood and community of Prairie Village. We thank you today for the word as we open it up. May we not hear um, from me and my opinions. May we hear from you. May you, Holy Spirit, preach and teach and testify about Jesus. May you help me, Lord, to proclaim the truth as it is in the Bible, Lord, as it is in the word and that we would not shy away from the things that convict us, that we would be encouraged by the things that bring us encouragement, and that you would just challenge us, Lord, 
to live the lives of freedom that you died for us to have. We ask all these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. And amen. As we look at the Word and we continue our study about loving life in 1 John. Again, 1 John is a letter that John wrote to the churches. It's not to be confused with John, the Gospel of John, that is one of the first, it's the fourth book in the New Testament. And the Gospel of John is about the life of Christ and that he came to save the world. Well, then later, um, somewhere around the year 85 A.D., somewhere between 85 and 90, second-generation Christians, John writes this letter to not any one specific church, but to church in general. So he's dealing with um, this false teaching that was going on in the church. It's called Gnosticism. And they were teaching that the way you knew God was that you knew Him through knowledge. And if you could attain to the right level of knowledge, you would be in connection with God. And so the, the people who, you know, had the greatest intellect could arrive here. But if you were not um, very intellectual, then you couldn't uh, make it to this place. And they believed that all evil or all matter was evil. And so they basically elevated knowledge incorporated it spiritually, and they said that that's that Jesus himself, and, and again, here was the danger that John was dealing with, is this was being taught in the church. And so there were people who were rising up claiming to be part of the kingdom of God, part of the church, um, and they were teaching that Jesus didn't actually, he wasn't actually here physically. He was, he was kind of a a spiritual form. He looked like a human, and people were interacting with him, but he wasn't really human. And that, so that was one form of Gnosticism. And the other form taught that, well, he was a human, and he was born, but when he was baptized, the Spirit of God descended upon him at his baptism, and it departed him prior to his death on the cross. And so he was only there, um, God was only like overtaking Jesus for these few years, which is both heretical teaching. You know that the Bible teaches that Jesus was God in the flesh. And from the time he came to the world as a baby, it was in Mary's womb all the way to the time of his death, he was fully God, he was fully man. Theologians call this the hypostatic union of deity and humanity. All of God was in Jesus. All of humanity was in Jesus. And this is what makes him a miraculous person is that he never sinned. He was tempted like we were. And though we look at him and go, man, he was all of God. Yeah, but he was all of man too. And say, well, how did that happen? How did that, like, I can't explain all of that. That's what I try to do all the time. Like, this is a divine thing. This is the gospel message. We were hopeless. We could do nothing about our sin. So God came in the form of Christ to die a death he did not deserve to serve as a perfect sacrificial, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so all of this confusion is going on in the church. And because it, there's, or this heretical teaching is going on in this church, and because of it, there's all of this confusion. And so John writes the letter to correct the confusion and to get the people back on track and to increase their confidence in what it means to follow Jesus. Now, in our modern day, 
day that we live in, I think there's a lot of confusion in the church. I think there's a lot of heresy in the church. What I mean by that, I mean that there are a lot of groups out there that claim to be churches that are teaching heresy. Now, what is heresy? Well, heresy is not when we differ about an interpretation in the Bible, but yet we still fall within the pale of orthodoxy. What is the pale of orthodoxy? Well, that's everything like when we look at it and go, okay, what does it mean to be saved? What does it mean to, um, to know Jesus? What is, you know, who was Jesus? Was Jesus born uh, a virgin birth? All of these things, like we would say, all right, these are the essentials of Christian orthodoxy, and they, they are within this pale. Um, and if anything is outside of this pale, then it's not orthodox in its, its belief. And so when I say that we have disagreements, there are people, there are different groups that we might have dif- disagreements over some things doctrinally, but we're not outside of the pale. That's not heresy, that's doctrine, and that's a difference of interpretation on doctrine. But then there are people who are claiming that they are in the pale, then they're not. They're outside because of the way they're um, teaching something heretical that is outside of what the Bible teaches. That's when we get into heresy. Is when we look at um, teachers who are teaching things, it's just like they're changing the word of God. They're changing it to mean something else. They're making it fit within what works within our culture. Like that's not, that's not what we find that the Lord gives us permission to do. We are to take the word, interpret the word, proclaim the word, and um, apply it to our lives. And so when we think in terms of heresy that is going on in modern day church, it's causing a lot of confusion. And I think that even in a church sometimes where there may not be any heresy, that the people of God sometimes are often confused about their salvation. So like if you read the Bible, sometimes it's tempting to say, man, I, I don't know if I want to talk about saved. You know, I don't know how that's relevant to the people. And like, did, what, what, do they think, do they understand what I'm talking about? But I read the New Testament, man, it is all over the New Testament. People are getting saved, getting saved, getting saved. What the heck does it mean to get saved? It means that you meet Jesus. You have an encounter with God. And no longer is it something that you know about in your mind. It has totally transformed your life. And when that has happened, you have gotten saved. And so I think a lot of people are confused when it comes to their salvation. A lot of people don't know that they know. And we ought to have certainty. Like, like we ought to have certainty about whether or not we know God. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind. I am certain in my salvation. I know the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's not because of my performance and how I live my life. Sometimes I hear people say things, well, if I make it to heaven. What are you talking about, bro? Like, I'm going. There's no if for me. Um, I'm going. I know I'm going. How do I know I'm going? How am I so sure? Because I understand what the Bible teaches about salvation, and I know that I am saved. Okay, I know clearly what it means to know Christ. But yet, within the church, there are a lot of people. We grow up and we have a little bit of doubt. And, and, And so... We need to know that we know. And so John, we look in uh, 1 John chapter 2, we begin to unpack verses 1 through 11, and we can know for certain that we know Jesus. I mean, that's good news, man. 
Like if you're gonna love life, you gotta know. Otherwise, you're nervous all the time. You know, you're up and down. You, you, you wonder if you, if you really do know him. And so uh, I have certainty this morning. I want to say that to you. I want you to have certainty this morning. And John teaches us in this chapter how to have it. So as we unpack it, let me say the first thing about that. To love life, you must know Jesus as defender. Now, Brent, Brent, one of the things I appreciate about our worship ministry and what Brent does is he chooses songs that have some pretty solid theology in them. And one of the songs we sing um, is called Defender. And so uh, I, I think it probably is a little bit taken out of inspiration from this, this particular verse right here in verses 1 through 11. John writing to correct these Christians, to clear up some confusion. He, they're, they're worried, like, am I following the right path or not? Am I not smart enough? Am I, is my intellect not high enough that I have attained to what these other people are teaching? And, and so he's, he's both slamming the heretical teaching and he's encouraging the church and saying, listen, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now, as we, as we unpack these uh, uh, two verses here, verses one and two, just a few things I want to draw your attention to. One, John says, dear children. And if we study the Greek behind that, it actually means little born ones. Okay, so he's talking to the church, and he says, little born ones. Now, we know that John has used the phrase, I think, six or seven times in this short letter, born of God. We know Jesus talked about in John chapter 3, you must be born again. So right here, he's saying, little born ones. And what that indicates is that he's writing to us as he gets us into this place, and he's saying to us, hey, God is communicating through the Apostle John, through the supernatural inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that there is a spiritual beginning. Like he's, he's identifying them as a segment that if you are a born one, I'm talking specifically to you about your status within the kingdom. And so for us, like, that's a big deal. It's like we, we need to know Jesus as defender, and the only way to know him as defender is to have this born-again experience where there is a transformation that has taken place in my life. Now, it looks different for everyone. Like my story, I can tell it to you just as plain, as simple as, as, as I possibly could. I met the Lord when I was nine years old. I know I surrendered to him. I believed in him, okay? And, and so my life in Christ started then, that's when I was born again. Nothing incredibly glorious, no lights flashing, no angels showing up. Matter of fact, um, me and my mother bowed in my bedroom over my bed, and I had an NFL um, bedspread, okay, and it had all these squares with every team on it. And so I made sure I moved and bowed right over, I don't know if I should say this this morning, but right over the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> okay, no, I was from Oklahoma, and I'm a Chiefs fan too, okay, so I, I've learned to love the Chiefs as I'm here, and, and so I, I asked Jesus right there to come into my life, and I was born, I, I know I changed, I know something shifted in me, 
There are things that happen. So John's going to talk to us about what that looks like when that transformation takes place. And so he says, first of all, little born ones. And then he talks about um, this whole idea that I write to you so that you will not sin. Okay, so the objective is, is that, that, the, that transformation brings about a change in character and life. And I'm writing to you, church, he says, so that you don't sin. Now, when I say that a lot of people are confused in the church, there are a lot of people that kind of take that attitude. It doesn't matter if I sin because my sin is covered. It does matter even though your sin is covered. It matters how you live. And so, so, so John is saying, I'm writing this letter so that you don't sin. Okay, I don't want to see you engaging in sin. And what is sin? Well, sin, I think, is rebelling from what God is asking us to do in any particular moment. If we're rebelling and we're ignoring the voice of God, if we're ignoring the teaching of God, if we're ignoring what God has called us to do, it could be something good that we're ignoring, then we are sinning, okay? So John says, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But he says, but if anybody does sin, and this is good news, because you're like, man, the Lord doesn't want me to sin, but I know I've sinned. Yeah, like, like we sin, okay? And the difference here is, is as he's talking about sin, and we'll see as we go on through the letter, there is, there's, there is the, a difference between committing a sin and willingly walking in sin and the practice of sin and not being concerned with leaving that life and, and following the Lord. And so he says, I write this so that you will not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Now the advocate is this word, we, it, it means defender. And, and, and so it, it comes from, originally, the word is parakletos, and it means one who comes alongside to help. So the defender comes alongside to help us. He is the parakletos. In John chapter 15, verse 26, Jesus taught us this about the advocate or the defender. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father he will testify about me. And so Jesus is prophesying that when he comes, when I go back to the Father, when I rise from the dead and I go back to the Father, there's coming a day that I will send the defender. Now, who is the defender? It is the Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity. And so they didn't understand this when Jesus was teaching it, but it all made sense to them. Guess when? After the defender showed up on the day of Pentecost. So the defender comes and he transforms them. He testifies the truth about the truth. He teaches them all things. The things that Jesus taught them all, like it came to life. Like he illuminates for us. One of the things that I pray on a daily basis is as I teach you, is that the Holy Spirit would illuminate my mind and help me to understand the scripture in such a way that I can make it clear and plain and simple so that we can all grow from it. And, and that's one of the things the Holy Spirit does is he comes and he turns the lights on for us mentally. He turns the lights for us on so that we can understand what sin is and we can agree with God that this particular thing is sin and we can avoid it and he helps us to avoid it. He helps us in all these different capacities to accomplish the things that God wants us to accomplish. And so he's not making an impersonal defense He's pleading on our behalf. So God the Holy Spirit is living inside the little born ones. And if we sin, Jesus the defender is standing there at the right hand of God making a defense. Why is he the one making a defense? 
because legally he is the only one who can because he is the perfect sacrifice who makes atonement for the sins of the world. Now, I, I took Joel hunting last Saturday. We stayed the night, Friday night. We left, I don't know, 3 or 4 o'clock, went down south, hunted, stayed the night, and then we came back after our hunt uh, Saturday morning. So we're driving back, and I get almost all the way home. And so I get kind of congested there on 151st Street just after I pass um, Flum. I'm almost to Schweitzer, and I'm driving down through there and just kind of try to move in front of this traffic a little bit, and boom, here come a policeman. He was sitting up on the hill. He pulled me over. You know what I pulled you over for? Yes, I agree with you about my sin, okay? And I got a ticket. And I, don't, I hate tickets. Raise your hand if you like tickets, okay? Nobody likes tickets. And so I get this ticket, and I'm thinking to myself, man, this stinks. Um, but Caitlin has a friend that she plays uh, basketball with and volleyball, and her, her dad is a lawyer. And I visited with him over dinner before about tickets. And so he kind of popped into my mind. Well, it just so happened that Caitlin had a volleyball game. And so I went to the volleyball game, and lo and behold, he's the first person I see when I walk in the door. I said, hey, Paul, I was thinking about you today. He said, hey, where did you get a ticket? <laughs> I said, as a matter of fact, I did. And uh, he said, where's it at? I said, Overland Park, right there by the house. And he says, uh, well, he says, I can get it amended for you. They're usually pretty good about that. And he tells me what I'm going to have to pay. And he says, I'll need the ticket. So I reached in my pocket. I said, it's hot off the press, bro. And I give him the ticket. And so he emails me, and he tells me, you don't need to worry about anything. I have changed your arraignment date. I'm going to go. I'll be there. You don't worry about anything but sending me these two checks. So I send him the two checks. And what is he doing? He is walking along with me and defending me and reducing my charge. Now, that's, that's about the best illustration I can get for what Jesus does. He walks along with us. Like, it's nice to know, oh, man, he got that change. It's not going to impact my insurance. Now, granted, it's costing me something. It's costing me more than the ticket would normally cost me, but I'm being changed from like a moving violation to a parking ticket. Thank the Lord for that, man. My insurance is not going to go up. So all these benefits, but there are consequences in the midst of the benefits because it cost me some of my cash, and there's pain in that. And the same thing happens for us when we sin. Is when we sin, the Lord will forgive us. He is our defender. He will make a case. It is not impersonal. He walks alongside of us. He helps us along the way, but we still have consequences to pay because of the sin. And so John says, I write this to you, brothers, that you will not sin. Because it's better for us if we don't do that. It's better for the kingdom if we don't do that. And so he's, he's making a case on our behalf. And so when we have, now th this is what's cool, is that by my, my illustration there of my, my charge being changed, like the, the, the court is looking at me differently. When we have Jesus as our defender, we stand in God's favor. Like, man, when Jesus is your defender, you stand in the favor of God. So when we know Jesus, he looks down upon us, and we know him as defender, God looks at us, and he sees us favorably. Why? Because he sees us through the lens of the defender. And so he sees us as a pure, holy vessel because he sees us through the red stained glasses of Christ. 
And that's why we're covered. Now, that doesn't mean that we can just go walk in sin just because we're covered. It means that we need to be listening. We need to be following. We need to be doing everything we can to follow hard after Jesus. But it is good news to know that God looks down upon my life, and he sees me as a creature of his, as a child of his, Jimmy Oldbrook, and he sees me favorably. If you don't have Jesus as defender, God does not look down upon you favorably. See, I don't like that. Like God cannot look down upon the guilty who have no covering for their sin and accept them. The moment that he does, he no longer is a God that I want to serve. Because all of the evil in the world, there is no, there is no justification brought about in their lives. Now, I would not that anyone would perish. I would that all men, Paul said, would come to know Christ. I don't want to see anybody perish. But if a person doesn't have Christ as their defender, there's no other alternative for God to retain his holiness in heaven. It is logically impossible to him, for him to look down upon sin and say, it's okay. Like he can't be holy anymore. As soon as he's okay with that, then he becomes an evil God. So for God to retain his holiness in all that he is, there must be a penalty for sin, and the penalty has been removed for those who know Jesus as defender. This is the basics of the gospel. That's why it is so important when we talk about this born-again experience that John is dealing with, is it changes who we are, and we're going to see how he unpacks that, and go, what does this have to do with love life? Well, you're going to see, you cannot love life the way the Bible teaches without this. You cannot love other people unless you have these things first as the foundation. You cannot love like Jesus, which is the whole objective of Christianity, is that he changes us into the same kind of things as himself, and we're able to love our neighbor the way that we love ourselves. And you can't do it, and you can't love life unless these things happen. And so when we have Jesus as our defender, we stand in God's favor. And here's the second thing John teaches us. To love life, you must know that you know him. Okay? So how do you know that you know him? Like, I want to know, and I, I appreciate the confidence that you have, Jimmy, and the, and the certainty that you're saying that you have in Christ, but how do I know that I know him? Well, John teaches us. People often wonder if they know the Lord, and we should not wonder if we know the Lord. John teaches us that we can have certainty, and not only does he teach us that we can have certainty, he teaches us we can test it. Now, we are not to make judgments about other people, but we are to look at the fruit of their lives, and we have tests to see whether a person, in fact, knows the Lord. There's a test for it, and we can kind of look at it. Now, certainly we can be fooled, but at least we have a measurement to base whether or not what we see is going on around a person as to whether they know the Lord. And and here's what John says. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whosoever says, I know him, but does not do what he obeys or do what, what he commands is a liar And the truth is not in that person. Well, what is the truth? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so so he says in verse 5, but if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. 
Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Okay, so there's several things in these um, three verses. Okay, first of all, when he says, we know that we have come to know him. Now, that's really important. One of the problems with the English language is it cannot receive the Greek language. Like, there's just, there are tons of Greek words that specify different types of things that the language just doesn't have, the English language just cannot receive them. And in this particular place, as it says, come to know him, it is using the Greek word gnosko, one of my favorite Greek words. It means an experiential knowledge of the Lord. And so, so John is teaching us Basically, and again, here we go. I think this is Brag on Brent Sunday. He was singing the song. I think it's, I don't know if it's simple gospel. He can correct me later if it's not. He says, from the head to the heart, you take me on a journey. Like from the head to the heart, you take me on a journey. What does that mean? I think that we could say gnosko is the journey. Like, gnosko is when I experience Christ, and no longer is Christianity for me something about intellectually that I know. Your parents may be born-again believers, and intellectually, you as a, as a person growing up in a Christian home may intellectually know Jesus in your head, but you've never met him in your heart. When you meet him in your heart, you have come to know him. You gnosko him. You have experienced him. You become a little born one, and things shift in your life. That's what I was describing that happens from happened to me when I was nine years old I came to know Jesus I didn't I didn't no longer just know about him I traveled the journey from my head to my heart it is a short distance but it makes a major difference like when when you when, when your knowledge of Christ moves from your head into your heart it changes everything about you and that's what John is teaching us here we come to know him and how do we know that this has happened? We know because we keep his commands. <laughs> now, so what is this talking about? Is this the Ten Commandments? Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, or, or you know, don't take the Lord's name in vain? That's not what this is about. That's not what Jesus' command was. Jesus told us when he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? The greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. That is the second one. It is, it is like it. Love your neighbor and love God with everything that you are. That is, all of the law and the prophets hang on that. And so Jesus said that we are to love God the way that he did, that we are to love people the way that he did. And whenever we come to know Jesus and we have this born-again experience, then something happens in us that we want to obey that very thing right there. So obedience is the mark of completeness in God. So when we look at a person who does not care about obeying the Lord, then we're probably looking at a person that we go, I, I don't know if they know the Lord. Now, can we say whether they do or not? No. But we can tell that if a person does know the Lord, they are concerned about obeying Christ. So it does matter how we live. So just because our sins are forgiven and taken away doesn't mean that we can enter into this place that it doesn't matter how I live anymore. It certainly does matter how we live. It's very important to the Lord how we live. And so we look and obedience is the mark of um, a believer. And, and I love this part that it says in verse 5, the latter part of verse 5, that if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made 
complete in him. Like there is a completeness, a wholeness. And so here, you know, by the time we get to the end of this series, I'm going to begin to teach about um, different ways that we love. Um, different, there are different Greek words that we're going to explore about the way that we love. And so as we move into that direction, we see that in order for us to be complete individuals and whole in all that we are, then we have to have this encounter with the Lord that we know that we know him and we're secure in that. So here's what happens. Is that when, when this encounter that I'm talking about that happened to me for when I was nine or that may happen for you last week or it may be happening right now, you may be going, what the heck is like, what's going on with me right now? You, a new believer discovers he now hates what he used to love and loves what he used to hate. He's like, what is going on with me? Like, why, why can't I just, like, do what I used to? Listen, sin is not a problem before you meet Jesus. It becomes a problem after you meet him. And you're like, you begin to feel convicted. Why? Because the Spirit of God is in you, and you have been born of God, and spiritual transformation begins to take place in your life. And we're going to see more on that when we get to this next point here. But if you are a believer, you know it. And if you don't know it, you can know it today. And so the expectation is, is that followers of Jesus listen and obey what he asks them to do. Now, here's the, here's the third and final point before we get to the big idea. To love life, you must have something old made new in you. So Paul says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is past, the new has come. What is the new? Well, let's look and see what John says. Dear friends, again, we say, like little born ones, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. Now, this is going to sound like a contradiction. Watch what he says. I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet, he says, I am writing you a new command. What? You just said you weren't. What are you talking about here, John? Well, I'll show you here in a minute. Its truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. Now, again, this sounds like a contradiction, but the Greek had two different words for new, and one means new in time, and the other means new in character. So, so we have words like recent and fresh. Recent means um, it has to do with time, and fresh has to do with character. You don't want recent fruit. I don't want fruit that you purchased recently if it's rotten. I want fre fresh fruit, Right? So we see the difference. And so John is saying that this command to love is not new in time, but it's new in character. Like, it is not new that God wanted people to love people. That is all the way, that's all over the Old Testament. We are to love each other. We are to love God. But what is fresh about it? Well, what is fresh about it is that Jesus emphasized it. We look at the life of Jesus and we see a newness of this love. Like, Jesus didn't, like, he lived totally different than anybody else, especially the religious people or religious leaders as he was not tying a heavy load on, of legalism on people. He was just loving people where they were at, like everybody. 
He was criticized for coming in. The irony is that God hates sinners, and he comes in the form uh, or God, God hates sin, but he comes in the form of, human, of a human being, and he is criticized for loving the sinners because he's trying to solve the sin problem, and he's doing the only thing that, that can solve it. And so he emphasizes the love. Not only does he emphasize the love, he gives us an example, and then he enables us to experience it. It is impossible for us to love like Jesus if we do not know him. It's not impossible for us to love. Everybody loves. Even the most vile person has some form of love for something in his life. But when we're talking about this kind of love that we're, we're learning about today, it is impossible to love like this without Christ. But he says in this commandment, he says, you have had it since the beginning. The beginning of what? The beginning of your birth in Christ. As soon as you are born of God, boom, you are enabled to live with the love that Christ had. You're shifted. You don't love sin anymore. You, you, you love what you used to hate, and you hate what you used to love. Things are shifted in your life. You begin to realize there's a war going on within you, a war where God is trying to get you to listen to his voice, and the old man that you are dying to daily, that Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me, and you will find your life. You're dying to that old man, and you're letting the new man live in you. The new man is you in Christ, and you're learning to love like Jesus, and it happens at the beginning of our experience with him. So it's in, and, and so what does he do? He says, look, you can't say that you have the kingdom in your heart and have hatred toward your brother. Like I'm blown away at where we've came and arrived in the kingdom that so many people in the church think that they can have people in their lives that they don't forgive. If you have someone in your life right now that you have not forgiven, how can you say that you have the kingdom of God in your life when the word teaches us that the believer, when he has come into the light, he walks in the light and he knows God and he cannot have hatred in his heart. He cannot have bitterness in his heart. He cannot hold on to things. He must walk in forgiveness. Sometimes it takes us a little longer to forgive, but as long as we're on the road and we're, we want to forgive and we're people of forgiveness, our first reaction should not be, I'm going to get even with you. I mean, we're going to do that. Like when somebody wrongs us, the first thing we're going to do is, I'm going to get even with you. But we should very quickly be convicted by the Holy Spirit and go, wait a minute. God's not trying to get even with me. He's forgiven me. Like this thing is way out of balance with me and the Lord. And so I should be loving like the Lord loves me. And so what, what happens here is, so, so again, he's saying it is impossible to be in relationship with God and be out of, out of fellowship with believers. It's just impossible. You can't do it. You can't have this hatred going on in your heart and this, 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 this vindictiveness. And so what he is saying is that when we meet the Lord, I love this, we become people of agape love. I'm not the same person I used to be. And when we fully surrender to Jesus, I think through part of our sanctification, there's a time where we're born again and we're infants, 
And then we gotta grow, gotta grow up and become young adults and, and then finally become spiritual parents where we're leading other people and God has taken us on this journey. We're able to teach other people what it means to walk this thing out. There's a time at 22, man, from 15 to 22, I did not love like Jesus. It was all about Jimmy. Selfish. Like just, just like no time for Jesus. And, and you know what? The Lord got a hold of me because I went through a broken relationship and I couldn't understand how somebody, like if I cared about somebody so much, how could they just walk out and treat me like I don't even exist? And, and, and they just, you know, I, I was convicted over where we were at in life and, and I, I thought me and this girl would get married. And, 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 and so I, I approach her about it and she leaves and boom, she's gone. My heart is torn in two and I'm pleading with the Lord because I am a believer. Lord, how can she treat me like this? Like I don't even exist. And Jesus said to me very clearly, that's the way I feel about you. Like you talk about all this love you have for me and you treat me like I don't even exist. And in that moment, I began to understand agape love and how far I was from it. And since that moment, my life has been about trying to love like Jesus. And it's this incredibly cool thing where the Lord comes alongside us as our defender and he helps us. And even when we sin and we screw up and we don't get it right, he's walking along with us and he's helping us do what? Be like him. So the big idea is that those who are certain walk in light and love like Jesus. <laughs> like we're walking in the light of obedience and more light is being shed in our lives and, and, and we are loving because of all of that illumination that is going on. We are loving like the Lord. If we claim we have the light but we hate, the Bible very clearly says in these last few verses we are liars who are walking in darkness. Don't stumble around life. Love, here's a goal for us all. Love as much as you've been loved. Forgive as much as you have been forgiven. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, the person who has forgiven much loves much. The results is that you will have the truth in you and you will begin to love life. Because it doesn't matter what happens to you. It doesn't matter if someone treats you unjustly. Someone tries to run over you. You'll be hurt by it, but you'll immediately realize this is exactly what I did to the Lord. This is how the Lord has treated me and this is the way I'm going to react. And my life has shifted. You cannot do that in your own human power. It is something that happens supernaturally in us. And the results are we live in fellowship with God and others. We will not stumble or become stumbling blocks. There are too many believers in the kingdom that are causing each other to stumble by not working through their differences and just getting mad at each other. And we'll grow and progress in Christ. This is what it means to love life.
Do you know Jesus as defender? Has the journey made it from your head to your heart? And has something old been made new in you? Because when it has, you will walk in light and love like Jesus. I'm going to give you just a few moments to individually deal with those questions. And go, hey man, what is the Holy Spirit trying to say to me right now? Maybe I'm not listening on this one particular point, and I just need to like open up and listen to God and surrender this morning. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at www.overlandpark.cc.